chomping at the bit to get up here, isn't it? One of these days, Barry Owen and I will figure out. <laughs> Twice now we've been scared to death because somebody in the elders meeting would say, Barry, you've got communion, right? And we'd go, <gasps> we do? Oh, no, the other Barry. So we're going to get that straight one of these days. We're going to finish up our study of hell this evening. Uh, and then we'll start on heaven next week. The more I got into it, the more I realized there's no way that we can really have a study of heaven or hell because you can't, we have no concept of what eternity is. We certainly have no concept of what an eternity would be on fire. We've seen the military channel and things like that where a, a tank, will, a shell would penetrate another tank and the crew would be on fire. But that kind of pain is temporary. This kind of pain is permanent. People have no concept of what it would be like to be separated from God. Because there are people that have no, no, give no thought to God whatsoever that enjoy the benefits of God. Beautiful morning, love of family and friends, all, all the good things of life, all of that flows from God. None of that will be in hell. And the point is, people end up in hell because they choose to be. That's the thing to be remembered. It's a choice. They make a choice to go to hell when they choose to reject Christ, a life in Christ, and a real life in Christ. I mean, uh, by that I mean doing everything you can to follow what Christ, his values, what he would do under the circumstances. People don't want to do that because it's inconvenient or they don't have time right now or whatever, but it's their choice. They just made themselves God is what has happened, and that happens. There's no concept. We don't have any concept of what it's like to have no hope for a better tomorrow or no rest from the pain that we're experiencing. Uh, No concept of not having any friends or companions, because there's no friends in hell. You don't have any friends in hell. Uh, what we've done, if you'll turn to Luke 16, and verses 19 through 31, we've used as a vehicle to get to where we're going, the story of Lazarus, the rich man and Lazarus. And... Uh, Jesus uses this, I think it's a story. Most of the commentators say it's a story. It's not a parable, uh, is the consensus. But he uses this to kind of take the top off of what hell is because Jesus doesn't want us to go there. Jesus does not want us to go to a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Now think about that. Prepared for the devil and his angels prepared for the arch enemy of God, prepared for the one who is doing everything to undermine, circumvent, tear down everything that God is trying to do from the very beginning. He was a rebel after he, had, he started as Daystar, Lucifer, a position of trust, kind of like a God's bodyguard, a bodyguard of holiness. And he went from that high, exalted position. Pride brought him down. He was thrown down to earth, and he didn't waste any time of doing everything he could to foul up the relationship of people and God on earth. And he's been working at it ever since, and he's not going to stop until the end. 
So this hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. It's not prepared for people. And Jesus does not want anyone going there. Notice the God the Father. Um, but they use the story of the rich man and Lazarus to make some, port, some important points. The rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen. So he's rich. Said, Jesus says he's rich. He's rich because Jesus says he's rich. But also his clothing makes it clear that he is rich. His clothing is available only to somebody that has a lot of money. Fared sumptuously every day. He had gourmet food every day. Okay. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. Lazarus is just at the opposite end of the spectrum. But Lazarus is visible now. Lazarus is visible to the rich man. Rich man knows he's there. Rich man knows his name. But he doesn't help him. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which which fell from the rich man's table. Those probably are pieces of bread that in that culture they would use to wipe their hands on and then throw it away. That's what Lazarus was desirous of. That's what he wanted. That's what he would have settled for gladly because he was about to starve to death. And it came to pass when the beggar died, but now listen to the big difference now. When the beggar died, he was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. He gets a royal escort. This priest of God gets a royal escort into Abraham's bosom, which is another way of saying paradise. Bosom, as we said last week, because they would, when they would dine, they would recline on their left elbow. Okay? And that made it where John would recline on Jesus' breast. John would have been to the right. Satan having filled Judas's heart, Satan was in the position of honor to the host's left and a little bit above Jesus because they'd been arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Satan wanted to stir up everything he could. So don't think Satan won't stride right into any church. He didn't, he didn't mind striding right into the Last Supper and do all he could to get that disrupted. So given a chance, he'll get in where he can. But that is why they say Abraham's bosom is because of the manner in which they would dine uh, in that culture. So he got a royal es- he got He got an escorted by angels into Abraham's bosom. That's Lazarus. The rich man, who's not named, was buried. Now, that means an extravagant burial. That means a burial that would befit a person of his standing in that culture, in that society. Uh, his uh, uh, cronies that liked him, that, that thought he was doing the right thing. In fact, in his culture, to do well, to be wealthy, was an indication of being righteous. And no doubt the rich man obeyed all of the points of law that he should. He went to Passover. Uh, he went to the feast that he should go to. He didn't. Uh, there's no allegation in here that he uh, acquired his wealth by any improper means or anything like that. There's no allegation that he got drunk at the parties he threw or got anybody else drunk. There's no allegation of the things that our culture finds sinful that he did any of those things. What he did not do is share what he had with with anybody else, including Lazarus. His every thought was on himself. That was his sin. It's not what he did affirmatively wrong. It's what he didn't do to share or to help out others. 
that was what, what his sin was. Um, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. Okay. So what kind of senses do we have in hell? Well, first of all, you can see. You can see, and part of the hell is he can see Abraham and Lazarus in his bosom. He can see what he was missing by reason of thinking only of choosing a life for himself on earth. He sees what he's missing. He can see the glory of paradise, and he knows he can't have it. So what other things, what other senses does he have? He can speak. Father Abraham. So he's trying to identify with Abraham. Now he's, now he's kind of, you know, wanting to get in there with uh, the ones he neglected earlier. But he can speak. Father Abraham. Send Lazarus. He still hadn't learned anything. Treating Lazarus like he was a slave. Uh, so he can speak. That he may dip the tongue of his finger into water and cool my tongue. He can remember what cool water tastes like. How refreshing it was. And now he's desirous of just a drop. Okay? Just a drop. Um, For I am tormented in this flame, he can feel. He can feel all of the senses that we have, he has. And then Abraham rejects him in a nice way. He says, son, remember in thy lifetime thou receivest good things, Lazarus evil things. Now he's comforted, thou art tormented. And besides all this, there's a gulf in between. So now this is... uh, it's, it's a uh, Hades in Greek, Sheol in, in Hebrew. It's an intermediate place between heaven and hell. Hell, and the terms are mixed up because of bad interpretation. They use hell when they're really talking about Hades or Sheol. Okay? That's an intermediate kind of a holding tank, if you will, before the final judgment. He's conscious, very aware of his surroundings. Among the things he can hear, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth. I mean, all the time, unending. Gnashing of teeth means that if you hit your thumb on the, uh, with a hammer and you that's what gnashing of that's that's people that are in horrible pain people who are crying and they're they're they are they're they're weeping they're wailing screaming all this is surrounding him so he can hear all that he can feel the pain experience the thirst Hell is a place where God's undiluted wrath 
is poured out on those who refuse to accept Jesus. Habakkuk cried out right before the Babylonians came in and conquered the land for God to remember his mercy. God remembered his mercy when Satan had successfully messed up creation such that God was going to have to destroy it. He, he had the mercy to save Noah and his family. Um, but in hell, there is no mercy. See, things that we are accustomed, we are so accustomed to thinking of God as being a merciful God that we can't conceive of being in a place where that mercy is not present. Eternal separation from God. That means eternal separation from everything that's good. So you've got nothing around you but bad people who've done bad things, and there is nothing to mitigate or lessen that badness. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And, it's, and Lazarus is still in paradise, and the rich man is still in Sheol. Still in Hades. Uh, 2,000 years later. Unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, all have their part in the lake of fire. That is hell. The lake of fire is hell. That's after the final judgment. He can still experience want. He wants things. He wants water. He wants, wants to get out of there, but it's not going to happen. There's no second chances. We're all accustomed to having a second chance. You know, we can work our way out. Well, there's always another chance. Well, now there's not. There's not. There is no going back. Once you've reject, rejected Christ and the salvation through Christ, there's no going back. And people can remember. The rich man can remember. He remembers he's got some brothers. He remembers Lazarus. And don't you know that he remembers all of the times that he had an opportunity. Somebody said, why don't you come to church with me? Why don't you, why don't you just do it? Nah, 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 next time, you know. I'll, he's going to remember every time he rejected that offer. Every time some mother said, son, why don't you come, don't you come with me and go to church? No, mom, I, you know, I'm going to go out with the guys later on. He'll remember every one of those times. It's all going to be played out. That's part of his hell. Every time he rejected someone's offer of salvation, he'll be able to remember it. He's got remorse, constant remorse for the decisions he made in his lifetime, but just, he just doesn't have another opportunity to go back and change it. Part of his hell is be his memories of the nice things of this life. Beautiful morning, a starlit sky, love of family, love of friends. Being respected, being needed by others, being useful, having friends. None of those things are in hell. And most of all, he remembers he doesn't have to be there. It was his choice to reject 
the opportunities he had for salvation, he knows full well all the time he does not have to be where he is, but he knows also that there's no going back. It was a conscious decision to reject salvation. Now, since he's rejected the debt that was paid in full by Christ, he's got to pay his own debt, and it's going to take him an eternity to do it. Hell is also a place of unanswered concerns. He's concerned about life after death now. Well, yeah. He's concerned about the, uh, the welfare of his brothers uh, because, no doubt, he was their example. You know, they're going to follow in his footsteps. Say, Father Abraham, I've, you know, I, let me go back and tell my brothers. And, and Abraham Abraham's quite right. You know, if you're not going to listen to Moses and the prophets, you're not going to listen to somebody that comes back from the dead. It's, it's hard to argue with that kind of truth. So his pleas for some kind of relief are just getting nowhere. But he is concerned about them now. But he wasn't concerned about them when he was alive. Hell is a place of unending condemnation. No more chances. No more chances. You're condemned, and there's no way around it. He chose this life. Now he's in hell. Can't do anything about it. And he knows it will always be that way. He will never again hear his mother say, Son, come go to church with me. He will never again, probably never see his mother again. Never hear another gospel hymn. Never have a chance to pick up a Bible and see it unfold as he reads the truths and see it. Well, well yeah, has that always been there? I've never seen that before. How about that? All of us have, who have studied the Bible have experienced that. That's why it's a living it's a living book. It's, it's alive. It, it takes on a new meaning depending on where you are in life, depending on how much you study it. He will never again have the opportunity to see those truths revealed in scriptures. Hard to take. Hard to take hard to identify with that kind of punishment but it's the fact is he chose it himself uh, Sheol that's Hebrew for a temporary place for disembodied souls the, the confusion like I say is that even in here they use the word hell in this scripture they use the word hell uh, Sheol is Hebrew Hades is Greek it speaks of the same place. It's got it, one side is where people are, that have been wicked or have not accepted Christ are tormented. The other side is paradise. That's Abraham's bosom. Between the two, the third section is, is the, the gulf in between. So you can't get back and forth between the two. Sheol or Hades is temporary. Hell is permanent. So all of his arguments are of no avail. And the rich man is still in that position today. Same place he was 2,000 years ago. 
same place he'll be two million years from now. Uh, that's hard for us to fathom, but that's the way it is for someone that rejects. And, and then the thing of it is, the purpose of this study is an incentive for us to go out and uh, um, be as good a missionaries as we can, be as good missionaries and uh, ambassadors of Christ as we possibly can. Because there's a lot of folks out there that think, well, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I, you know, I'm, I'm go to the Rotary Club. I, I, uh, I contribute. I, I probably goes to church once in a while. Certainly on Easter, Christmas, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. But that's not a life in Christ. And maybe the baseball coach, all the kids look up to him, and, you know, he's a good example, doesn't cheat on his wife, all of those things, that's not going to earn heaven. You can't earn salvation. All of the earning was done by Christ. He paid, <clears throat> he paid the price. And we can't earn our way into heaven. Um, but this type of study hardly ever undertaken from the pulpit because it's uh, really not conducive to like a 20-minute sermon or whatever. It's, uh, uh, but it needs to be spoken. People need to be reminded of it. Next week now, we're going to start on heaven. And uh, that's, a, that's a much more pleasant subject. It's the exact opposite of what hell is. Um, I, I thought this was the better order of the two to present. Uh, and on the high note, and I guess I'll have two more weeks before Chris takes back over if I can talk him into taking back over I, unless he talks me into staying for a while longer but uh, I anticipate that after two more weeks I, I two weeks uh, to study heaven and I'm looking forward to that study I want to learn as much about heaven as I can because I haven't really studied heaven uh, I hadn't really studied hell, hell until we started this study and that's the way to learn if you don't know anything be a teacher uh that's the best way to, to get prepared for something. Um, if there's anybody that uh, has any questions about any of this uh, material, please see me after church. If uh, there's anything, uh, if, uh, room 100, for anyone that did not have the opportunity to uh, uh, partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, and uh, we're going to have a dismissal song uh, by Matt. Who's got the dismissal prayer? Stan Burkhardt. If you'll stand, please. <laughs>